podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome to a brand new episode of Pit Stop Fracker. I am your host, Anik, and we are here today to go over the Michael Schumacher documentary that was premiered on Netflix this week. So we're talking about Michael Schumacher, what many people consider to be the greatest F1 driver of all time. And I'm here, joined by Chris, Kwame and JL to go through that documentary. So we'll get their thoughts on it. Um, it was an interesting documentary, um, in all honesty. I personally think it touched on Schumacher as a person um, and not so much as a racing driver, but we'll get into that as the pod goes along. Um, let me introduce my co-host today. Chris, how you keeping, mate? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for asking. Um, actually, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. I've been suffering from... From this sore throat over the weekend um and it's still getting the better of me unfortunately but i should i should be okay to get through it today we're, we're talking f1 so i'm sure i'll be fine bro um yeah kwame how you doing mate i'm good bro i'm good bro. how you doing i'm good man i'm good, That's good to hear, man. yeah the, the um... sore throat's still there from when from when chris asked me to when you asked me School for it's still there. It's not gone yet, bro. <laughs> yeah, but I hope you get better by the end of the pod. Um, but yeah, um, fingers no, crossed, man. Not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> Good to see the documentary as well. I mean, I definitely do agree with Anik that um, it did touch him more as a person rather than his F1 adventures. But we'll go to that later. We'll go to that. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, I suppose on that point, though, it just goes to show that as drivers, they're not robots, they're, they're humans as well. And I think it was nice, especially to separate, um, you know, the two week break we have between races for them to release this documentary and provide like a different angle um, when, when it comes to Formula One um, and, and racing drivers and, and what goes on behind the scenes. JL, how you doing, brother? Man, like you, recovering from a cough, flu, whatever it is, um, but I'm good. I'm good. I went down memory lane today. Like really watching that. Lane, yeah. Honestly, like yeah, brought back so many memories. To be honest with you, bro, as as a United fan, you know we're we're talking about one goat here. But since since the last time you're on the pod, another goat of football has joined your team. So, are you are you, are you sure you you were recovering from a cough, or was it just a lot of heavy <laughs> nights partying? Is 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 that what it was, JL? No, 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 no. It definitely was, definitely was. But. Um... <laughs> But ironically, you know, both my teams in red, you know, I have to relive both the pain and the joy. So we're good. We're good. We're good. Um, and Kunle has just joined the building. You, Kunle, you, you, you never responded to the roll call, but you just joined the stream as you would. Um, anyway, we love having you on. How's it going, bro? Yeah, I'm good. I didn't know. I didn't know I'd be done with work by the time you guys were recording. That's why I didn't. Because, you know, some of us have to work, you know. Mate, we've all been working. Don't give me that. You just you mean, jump in the stream some, and surprise us. I mean, some of us are on a different time zone. You get me. <laughs> um, you're not sporting the red do rag today, or any do rag. Nah, nah, because um, you know, shout shout them, man. But nah, never, never supporting that team ever. 
Oh, good. I'm too, I'm too, anyway. McLaren, I'm too McLaren for that. I'm yeah, too McLaren. on now now you're McLaren. All of a sudden. No, no, no. All of a sudden. I've always been McLaren, Alex. You just didn't know. I've always been McLaren. Right, since Monza, all these McLaren nah. fans have come out of nowhere. Like, oh, Anik, I support Anik, it. I was Anik, back in McLaren for time. Right. Go check the predictions. I had McLaren finishing third. I've always okay. been McLaren. Yeah, but... Wait, were you a McLaren fan though? I'm gonna have to go back and watch these these earlier pods. Go watch it. I've always been. It's always been. You know, all right, all right, all right. that's always been the first team. Uh-huh. Lewis, uh-huh. Lewis left. Lewis left. There's still a lot for McLaren, but you know, I t- I, I took my support to to go with Lewis. I can uh, sorry, 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 sorry. This is a Ferrari like Schumacher pod. Wait, let me talk about McLaren. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure the team that's not won a world championship in almost twelve years or fifteen that years. Hey, hey, McLaren yeah. haven't won a world co- uh, constructors in the twenty first century, but we'll save that for another day and another pod. Let's talk about Schumacher though. Um in terms of um the actual documentary itself, so so it's two hours, um and for those viewers and, and listeners that are unaware the documentary itself was touching on Schumacher up until his um, battles with McLaren and then his first championships for a good one and a half hours. And then for like the last 20, 25 minutes, they sort of just skimmed over his, his, <laughs> his five world championships with Ferrari and then, and then his later years. Um, but what we saw in the early exchanges was this, um, what do you call it? Like a, a real desire to to be a race winner from an early age. It seems like his his upbringing had a lot of similarities to Lewis Hamilton in terms of wanting to be the best in karting, not always having the best car, um, coming up from you know um, a working class family and sort of rising up through the ranks there. Now I'm going to come to you first on this, JL. Um, his first race was at Belgium in 1991. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think he only, he managed to qualify, I think, seventh on the grid or something. Yeah, between fifth and seventh, it yeah, wasn't that high. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it was, it was in 1990, I think it was 91. Yeah, 91. And, uh, and, and it got a lot of the paddock to, to stand up and see, actually, you know what, this guy is, is a fantastic racing driver. Mm-hmm. And then it just seemed like he was tapped up all of a sudden by like Flavio Briatore. Um like, like what did you make of that all of a sudden? Like obviously Eddie Jordan brought him in, he goes, Yeah, we're gonna have you, you're gonna race for us. And then all of a sudden he got tapped up and, and by ninety two he was driving for, for Benetton. what did you make of those sort of early exchanges and and does does it like make you realise that yeah, these games are always gonna be played in Formula One? Hundred percent. Um, I think someone made a, p- a point in the documentary around how you know, the golden rule is you don't speak to drivers in the in the paddock about um, deals and moving teams. Yet in the twenty first century, we see it all the time. So this is part and parcel of Formula One. It, ha- it happened daily. Um, it's funny watching like how oh yeah, no, as I said, he got into F one as a not lucky because someone was um unavailable mm-hmm. but um it's interesting because i believe a few parts ago we, we spoke about how we want to see drivers it's rare to now see drivers whose 
families sacrificed a lot to get them into the sport. And we talk about Lewis and what his dad did, but Michael was the same. You know, his dad and his family had to sacrifice a lot. He came in, and I guess, as his dad said, when someone offers you a five-year deal, I think it was like 3,000 marks, where it was a month, you take it. It doesn't matter what the team was, didn't matter where they were. I think Benetton at the time were the equivalent of modern day. I, I think... I think he said they were like the fourth quickest team. Yeah, fourth quickest team. So I would say they... You'd say like a uh, McLaren, ironically. Ironically, McLaren, yes. McLaren. Ironically, McLaren, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. McLaren without the heritage. So I can now... So same with like any driver on the grid, right? If you were a talented driver and McLaren come to you to say, yo, we want you... No, here's money, here's money on your table. You take it. You take it. So... Um, and obviously he won two championships, which which we'll get to. But yeah, it was a at the time unprecedented. Um and I just remember I just remember my first memory of Formula One was that blue car with the red nose. Mm-hmm. That's like, like etched into my memory and just seeing him um challenging with Williams and Curran um, back then. Yeah, definitely, bro. And I think that early career, well that early part of his Benetton career sort of set him up to to go for the world championships and I'm just going to jump straight into the sort of first you know dramatic moment that we saw in the documentary and that was like the the duels that he had with Ayrton Senna we saw that um at the French Grand Prix in 1992 he took him out at the start and then you know there, there was the battles um right up until you know that that fatal day in in 1994 when um, Senna unfortunately passed away now when it came to that Senna moment in the documentary I want to come to you first on this Kunle like what was your initial reaction to the crash the battles the way they portrayed it because they turned around in the documentary and they kind of suggested that you know Senna at the time was under a lot of pressure Schumacher was chasing him down that kind of what led to you know that that moment in time, you know, happening and, you know, he could have, and, and that might be the reason why he crashed. <clears throat> Obviously, there, there's been a report that's come out and said, yeah, it was due to the steering column failing. But, I mean, yeah, what was your take on, on, on that Senna bit, mate? Um, first things first, and rest in peace to Ayrton Senna. You know, um, yep. great, great driver, brilliant driver, you know. Um, secondly, I think Netflix were disgusting for that, to start with. Mm-hmm. They could have... It was raw. It was, it was very, very been, raw. They could have done that. I could think of different ways where they could have put that accident in there and it wouldn't be as bad as it was the way the documentary came out. Because, you know, for a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of fans who have, um, who have done their best to avoid watching that Senna crash, a lot of fans have avoided watching that Senna crash again. You know, if you've seen the Senna documentary, it was in there. But again, you knew that was coming because there was a trigger warning. At least, you know, you you sort of had an idea of, okay, this is building up to that crash. But with the Schumacher one, I didn't expect to see that crash. And I didn't expect it to be that raw because, you know, 
not just the crash. There was the you know the whole the the health the health officials at the racetrack trying to like move his lifeless body away from the car. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that was in there, and I feel like that could have been that could have been done better. And again, it's just like just just like Netflix would do with Draft to Survive. They tried to build up something that probably doesn't exist. You know, I, I mean, I, I mean, sorry to interrupt you there, Kunle. I, I want to stick my neck out and say that. In my view, Schumacher had no bearing on the crash itself. The fact at that all. he was chasing Senna down, I don't think he had any bearing on it. And I think at all. At the all. way Netflix tried to portray that, I just, I just didn't sit right with me. Like yeah, he's a made... world champion, he's driving a car. The, the steering column gave up. That's exactly what, what we've just read. Yeah, I, I don't think it had anything to do with Schumacher chasing. I mean, him down. that was. I mean, there was no. I mean, yes, maybe, maybe they sort of. If they were sort of portraying, you know, this could have been a rivalry for the next from 1994 to probably 2000, 2001, where Senna would be sort of living the sport. If that was what they were trying to do, it makes sense. But the fact that they tried to like, yes, you know, Schumacher came on the he came into the sport when Senna was like the sort of face. Mm-hmm. But then even then, Senna wasn't the only face. Like, you know, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't there then, but, you know, I've watched the documentaries. I've seen the different highlights, you know, it was Senna versus Prost. There was other drivers there that were like, not just... No, you, you, I mean, you had heads like uh, Nigel Mansell. You had Martin yeah, Brundle, who, who might not have been well-known, but he was an experienced driver. Yeah. You had Mika so Hakkinen. The other guys, yeah, they were, not, yeah. they were not scrubs, you know. It's not like where there's just one name to the sport. So there was different drivers there, but I think because Senna was the other driver that was like sort of that determined at the time or publicly... You know, everyone knew Senna, you know, everyone knew Senna wanted to win championships. Everyone knew he would do anything to win a race. You know, he would do anything in battles. So I think maybe that's what they tried to do to say, okay, you know what? It's coming. It's rough with Senna's feathers. And, you know, there was that, there was that whole, there was that scene where Senna goes to speak to him after the crash, you know, after he crashes him, like, you know, you don't drive like that, blah, blah, blah. You know, sort of Liu brought him, like, G checked him, like, yo, big man, you're fast, but calm down a bit maybe that's what they were trying to do but yeah i wasn't i wasn't really and i tweeted it as well like you know if you don't want to watch this between the minutes of this and this you can skip it because it was a bit too i've seen the crash before but i hadn't seen it from that perspective of you know there's a lifeless body in the in the car car because, you know, like, it was so vivid and it was so raw that you could literally see the car, you could literally see that Senna wasn't moving and they were just trying to move his body away from that car. And, yeah, that was a bit... was a bit too much for I think me. What, what, what they should have probably focused on... I mean, I don't want to be criticising, you know, Netflix and how they go about doing these documentaries, but I think what they probably should have focused on was the aftermath you know the fact that on the podium Schumacher was there I think someone came up to him I don't know correct if I'm wrong someone came up to him on the podium and said look it's in a serious condition for Senna and yeah I think the team principal the team principal said no champagne or nothing like yeah. that um, yeah and, and it should have maybe just focused on on bits I, I what I found really weird was like the way they just tidied up the crash and just wanted to get racing again um but yeah Chris, let me come to you quickly on this. 
In terms of um, Senna and the legacy that he left on Schumacher in the documentary, what did you make of that? Chris, if you're there, you're on So me. I thought, yeah, I'm here, I'm here. I got you now. Am I out? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah go for it, go for it, bro. Okay. So I found that the, the legacy... The legacy that that Senna left for Schumacher was something that was really good and really important because you could see that he was one of his heroes. One person, like that, like you saw how he g-checked man in 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 France and how Schumacher actually yeah. listened. Like one of the few people that you could say Michael listened to this person when talking about, about racing, and like so you can see that the effects of both the crash. Seeing the crash and you know losing one of your heroes, that the profound effect in the interview was clear. So I feel as though on that center point, you know, you could see that it was one of his heroes. We saw that in the pictures after Manicor, the way in which Schumacher was taking on the information that the, the center was giving him. Center was acting like you know the old figure, being like, look. You should have done this, and you should, you should you should have taken this approach into the corner, whatever. It seemed like Schumacher for that one time was like, yeah, I'm willing to take on, I'm willing to learn, and and obviously after the crash, you know, it must have you know taken him back and when, and he ended up winning that '94 season, and everyone's going to remember that '94 season for obviously one one of the greats passing away in Senna, but he was able to deliver that that championship for Benetton, and he was also able to deliver it in '95 as well. During um, that time, I think we also need to touch on some of the key racing moments that he had, some of the, you know, quote-unquote shithousery moments that he had. And, and there was an incident with Damon Hill that I want to come to you, um, Kwame. Obviously, it was way before your time. So you, had, you, you didn't witness it live, but you've probably seen it back on YouTube and definitely in a documentary. But... What did you kind of make of that? Obviously, it's the last race of the 1994 Championship. They're in Adelaide. Schumacher seems to be cruising to a victory that will lead into the World Championship. I think, I don't know the corner itself, but he's going to one of the corners. He mistimed it. He went off track. As he came back on circuit, Hill goes for the inside. As he's going for the inside, Schumacher just appears to turn into him, which leaves Schumacher's car completely wrecked and out of the Grand Prix. Hill tries to carry on. But I think the suspension's broken um, and obviously Hill can't carry on. Both drivers are out, which means that Schumacher wins his first world title. So, yeah, um, what did you make of that, that, that first sort of incident that, that Schumacher had to, to win a title for, for Benetton? Uh, I feel like it's very interesting because um, with Schumacher, like his one of the legacies he kind of le- lent on is being his she has his moments. And he, like, he, like he said, his first moment was the uh, Damien Hill incident in Adelaide. And um, with that, it shows, I feel like, a guy who's very determined to win at all costs and would kind of previously, you know, like, send before for him who had the situation to Zuko with uh, Prost. It kind of shows how Shumi was, took all responsible to win, even if that affected, you know, um, that could affect his chances of, of winning because you're not sure if, if you're going to crash him out. You're not sure if it's going to work out uh, in your favour. You could crash him and he can still drive on but luckily for him he hits um Damon the right part of the car where 
his bench was finished. And I remember when they went to the pistol, they realized that, yeah, he can't continue. Shiraka won. Uh, and also, I find it, it's a kind of a current theme in his, in his, um, in his career as well. Uh, 97, again, similar incident with uh, Jack Villeneuve. Uh, again, uh, I think that's the referee got suspended well from the championship in the last race. You also saw the um, incident again with uh, Coulthard in a uh, spa as well and him being a beef and trying to punch him up in the pistol. stop. I like the way the documentary um, talked about it because even though, you know, Schumacher, he may have been the best condition right now to talk about. And also, you know, he's definitely a revered guy in the sport. And even though he's a very passionate guy, I kind of liked how it did talk about his flaws as a driver and how he was willing to win at all costs. And if that happened now as well, especially if I'm, if I'm sure, or just in the PC culture we live in, it would be much more interesting to see how we're not. But I kind of wait he, how, you know, he just went for anything. He just didn't care. I'm going to take this risk. And yeah, and I think... I, you, you touched on it perfectly because even then the, I was just going to come on to the 97 incident as well and I think that bared so many similarities to the 94 one I think Martin Brundle came on radio and said you've hit the wrong part of him there Shumi he's been able to carry on and just for reference for the viewers and listeners in 1997 it was a very very similar incident uh, very final Grand Prix in Jerez um, Schumacher and Villeneuve are battling for the title basically whoever finished first wins the title if both of them were to crash out, then Schumacher would have won the title. Correct if I'm wrong there. But regardless, Schumacher crashed out as he tried to steer into Villeneuve as he was overtaking him. Now, I'm going to come to you on this, JL. In both incidents, a driver is coming up the inside of him and it doesn't appear. Schumacher turns into them, tries to take them out for the World Championship. Do you feel as though that is just a natural instinct of his driver or do you reckon... That is him just being an ultimate dickhead and being like, hey, you ain't winning this, I'm winning this. So having re-relive memories, um, ultimately, I think it's combination. I think he was a bit of a... Because because he demanded excellence from himself, also meant he was a bit arrogant. So he thought either I win, or you're not going to win. And there were times where, no one talks about it, Kufard, Villeneuve, where, yeah, let's, be, let's, let's not shoot quality. He took, he took out, he took out his, his opponents, knowing that bar we got disqualified uh, for championship, you probably, worst case scenario, I get banned. It's fine. You know, I, I, I believe for this race, you are not going to win. You know, we, um, someone mentioned in, in the pod last week about um, and it might have been you about about Max not thinking about the next race. It's thinking about right here, right now. I need to win, and mm-hmm. even if I damage my car, damage your car, my championship doesn't matter. And I think with him, yes, we talk about you know his dominance and so forth. But a lot of the things he did, I think, early in his career were probably a bit too reckless and a bit too hot headed. Um, because um, was, was it Kufard who mentioned um, in the documentary around, oh, don't you ever think you're wrong? He's like, no. Because to him, in his viewpoint, he's always right. Even if the crash was his fault, even if there wasn't a, a space, even if he was going too fast, in his mind, because of who he is, he was entitled to go for it. And to win that many championships to 
to be that dominant, you have to almost have a a mental, I don't, don't want to call it, but something as a switch that flips, that way that you are a killer in that. Um, we saw towards the latter parts of his career, after, you know, I think once the cars started getting faster, technology improved, aerodynamics improved and so forth, he did, he did less of those things because I believed, because I think the cars that back in the you know, late 90s, early 2000s, you could probably say it was pure driving talent, give or mm-hmm. take, slash, the fastest cars. As technology improved, you could have a fast car, a faster car with a bad driver. Well, I won't say bad, not as good as a driver. So he, I say he struggled, but I think he toned down those that on on that because he started realizing that, you know, as Kipad said, he's getting older. He can't those those decisions are um, he's not thinking about them as quickly. So honestly, I loved it as a as a neutral, well, neutral, not biased, but as a racing fan, I loved it because. You need that. You need that shit houseery. You need that somebody who is just going to make you think rightly or wrongly. You know, as a as a competitor, what's he gonna do? As a as a fan, it, it just brings energy to to the sport. Mm-hmm. I, f- I feel as though he just had a will to win, and no matter what, he was gonna win. And I think we saw that perfectly in in Jerez because when he crashed into Villeneuve. He went back to the pits and he told Ross Braun, I wasn't, in, I wasn't at fault. And even Ross Braun turned around and said, we showed him the video. And he, he kind of realised then that, yeah, maybe I was in the wrong here. So he just has this, like, maybe it's just a mental block. And he just thinks no. that, yeah, I'm, I'm right every time I'm going to win. I, I, mean, I mean, look at in the documentary, it, it, you know, his wife said when he was on breaks, most F1 drivers, they have breaks. They relax, they chill. He did go-karting, he did sky, solo skydiving, he did... Mm-hmm. He did basically anything that was extreme. So he he's purely a driven junkie. So I think he thrives on that. On that yeah. All right, you know, there's there's a gap. I may not make it, but he may make it. I think he, I think just that he just something switches and just gets everything, just sees red, and that's it. That's it. Kule, talk to me about Schumacher and some of his crashes in '94, uh, '97, '98. What did you make of them? Are we, are we talking about the master of the dark arts, yeah? Yeah, just tell us, man. Just tell us. It was epic shithouse. Yeah. You know what? It was, wasn't it, bro? <laughs> it was. It was shithouse. I don't know why JL's trying to, like, sugarcoat it. It was shithouse. He's just... You see, JL, yeah, this is this is him wearing his Ferrari Googles, like, you know, <laughs> it's Ferrari, it's shumi. Nothing shumi and Ferrari done is wrong, you know. Even if they're crashing into other cars, I don't care as long as we're winning the top championship. But I think I think again it goes back to it goes back to if you look at certain drivers and you look at who their idols are, you look at Shumi and you know his first sort of racing point, the first person you look at when you look at who Shumi sort of looks up to is at Senna. And you know, and Senna also had this moment where it's like, I'm gonna like take you out. I'm going to win the championship. You know, I don't finish the race. You don't finish the race. We're the only two in, we're the only two there that will probably win the championship. So neither of us would finish the race and I win the championship. So, you know, it happened in 1994, the first time around. And, 
you know, in that documentary, he tried to like go back. Oh yeah, I didn't know. You know, I lost control. I was trying to go back on the track, but that man knew what he was doing. He knew, bro. He, he knew. knew what he was doing, man. He's like, oof, it's gonna be a bit of a sticky one. You know, I have to win this championship. Like he needed to win ninety four. And then he went on, and then when he went on to win in '95, you know, '95 was more straightforward, and mm-hmm. that sort of solidified '94. So for all of the, for all of the shit outstreet that he done, he, he always had that one season that backs it up to say, "Hey, look, I didn't just win because I crashed into that guy last year. I won because I was the better driver, or I am I'm better than everyone else." So when he came, when he when he when it happened again with the um, Villeneuve one again. If you if if you watch a documentary, he tried to okay. This guy is faster than me. He's in a rocket. I can't stop him on the track. The only thing I can do is, you know, give him a little squeeze, take him out, bro. Yeah, take him out. You know, simple, bro. He just but then, he just... But, then but then the only mistake he made was that he went for a body shot instead of a headshot. <laughs> and the body shot didn't, you know, the body it shot didn't, it didn't work. And then he had to miss, you know, and then he had to miss the next year because of the the suspension. And again, that happened because this was a second, you know, there was already history of Michael doing that. He didn't take away from his greatness as a racing driver. He didn't take away from his abilities. But it just meant that, you know, he's, again, like Anik, you're a '90s baby. Like you're old, right? Mm-hmm. You're holded. So, like me and Kwame, me and Kwame come from a different era, right? <laughs> Don't know? give me that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. come from a different era. So, so he was just at that time just saying, you know what? This is the era of racing where I come from. It's you take it one way. You either take it fairly, or you little bro the person that you're taking it from. So. Precisely. Some people call it shit housery. Some people call it the dark arts. Some people Winning. call it. Some people call it genius. But it's just, it's just what. Jl wow. calls it winning. Not yeah, Jl calls it winning. Obviously, it's Jl. Nah, yeah. So what we saw um, towards the end of '97, obviously that that race was quite key because Mika Hakkinen ended up winning that, and then going into '98 by which point it was Schumacher's third year at Ferrari and then 99, his fourth year. The wait to deliver that first world title for Ferrari was growing. The anticipation was growing. The expectation for Ferrari was growing. And Schumacher actually ended up winning his first championship uh, for Ferrari in 2000. Um, And I just want to come to you first on this, Chris. Um, for, For those of you that are unaware, Schumacher... Uh, missed the best part of the 99 season because he crashed out at Silverstone and, and he broke his leg. But in terms of ranking his first world championship with Ferrari in 2000, would you say that is one of his greatest achievements? No, only because of the standards he set later on in terms of greatness. So. Okay. Stuff like 2002, where he finished every race on the podium and and 2004, like how many races, how many of the, like having the championship wrapped up by Spa is a different level of greatness. 
while 2000 was something special, he just went on another level later on. So I feel as though, um, so I, I agree with you to a point, but I feel as though post 2000, we saw a Schumacher dominance. So between 2000 and 2004, I feel as though we saw Schumacher dominance. I feel as though in, in the battle from especially 98 to 2000, I remember it so well because that's when I really started getting into Formula 1. I feel as though it was the battle of trying to topple McLaren. And McLaren were very, very quick. I personally think in 99, Ferrari had a quicker car. And Eddie Irvine was just unable to get the best out of that car after Schumacher's unfortunate crash. But in 2000, I feel as though he had the car underneath him. He won the first, I think, four, three races in the bounce. And then, you know, he, he was able to deliver that championship. And I feel as though that's good because the only... So, so, so when you look back on it, the only world champion for Ferrari is Kimi Raikkonen since Schumacher. Now, when you look back on it, I actually think, actually, you know what? In 2000, that was amazing because it had been a bit of a drought for them and then he had delivered it and it seemed, you know, em em emphatic at the time. I remember I was really, really happy because I, I was actually that year back in Schumacher to win. Um, I'm going to come to you on this, Jay. I see you nodding your head. I see you uh, agreeing with what I'm saying. But, um, yeah, what did you make up of that, like, that, that silver West McLaren versus, you know, the, the scarlet red Ferrari and Schumacher? You know what? It brought back so many memories of two things. My hatred, utter hatred for, for McLaren, that silver arrow. And do you know why? Because Mika Hakkinen was so, so fast. He was and, too and good. He, he, was, he was too good. So I think it was more slight jealousy because he was quick and he was a genuine, like, obviously, two-time world champion, but he was, what, three-time world champion, I think. But he was no, like two-time, two-time. Oh, in okay. 2000, it would have been the third time. He would have been, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah it would yeah. have been triple, yeah. Um, so I think he was just a genuine fast driver in a fast car. So that's why I hated it. But that's, so I, I think 2000 was his greatest because at that time, what, fifth season at Ferrari, he was two-time champion. Mika um, Hakkinen, you know, had won, his, had won his two titles in a row. And um, John Todd even said there were question marks around. Did they back the right horse? You know, it's it's similar it's similar to how Vettel uh, at well, ironically at Ferrari, you have a multiple world champion in the Ferrari team that you expect better from, mm -hmm. and he wasn't delivering. So you could argue, had he not won the 2000 championship, there is no guarantee that he won 2001, no guarantee he would have stayed at Ferrari, and who knows what the legacy and the sport would have been. So, mm -hmm. whilst I agree, Chris, that there were more dominant championships in terms of sheer importance that was the the the, the beginning of i guess obviously the you know for dominance but just for him you know he, he he achieved what he wanted it was quite simply come to ferrari come to the you know the one of the three legacy teams in, in formula one at the time win it and go down in history as record breaker and he did so and to be, and, and also not, not only to win it, but to be probably the, well, arguably the, 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 the best slash second best, but now you look at it, driver on the grid. Um, yeah, and probably to go to the last race now, it, it definitely was, and I, I remember it because I would have been about 18 myself, old enough <laughs> to, to, to remember it, um, and jumping for joy, the sheer utter joy, um, because we beat Mika Hakkinen. 
it's, it's funny you should mention Hakkinen because I remember that, that 2000 year. And I was actually, at the time, really upset when Hakkinen made that pass on Schumacher at Spa. Because if you remember, and the documentary takes us back, Hakkinen actually spoke with Schumacher after that pass. And he was upset with Schumacher because the first time, as they were coming up to a back marker, down the Kemmel Street, he completely blocked him off. And Hakkinen was upset about that. A couple of laps later, obviously, Hakkinen manages to overtake him going on the inside of Ricardo Zonta. Schumacher goes around the outside. But I do feel as though when you consider Michael Schumacher, you also, uh, during that time, you definitely need to take your hat off to Mika Hakkinen. And I do feel as though that goes under the radar a lot. Maybe it's because of um, Twitter and F1 and, and the wider world now and how they consider drivers. But I feel as though Hakkinen needs to get a lot of praise because... He was an almighty quick driver. I really thought he was... Honestly, in 2000, I thought he was going to uh, deliver the, world, the the triple crown for them. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, he's definitely... I mean, definitely a better driver than Kimi, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably, outside of... Outside of, of recent champions, so Lewis, Michael, Alonso... I'd probably say he's probably the best out of, out, out of those three, personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Personally, I can't be the argue him and Vettel, but yeah, definitely, definitely up there. So yeah, that that was probably arguably, in in my view, his his his, his most iconic moment um, for mm-hmm. Ferrari. And then the way in which the um, documentary portrayed it was like, ah, oh, he's got this win for Ferrari, weight off his shoulders. And he was just able to go and deliver world championship after world championship after world championship, which I think was a bit of an over exaggeration. Come the end of it in 2004, come the end of his first stint in Formula One, 2004, he had seven world championships and he won back to back titles every year from 2000 right to 2004. Hey, come on this, because um, it's getting closer to your time now, 2004. What did you uh, make of those world championships? Do you think it was just a case of having that weight off his shoulders or do you just think the car was just too dominant? I think um, I think a bit of both. I feel like as well, um, yeah, because I've gone to F1 right around that like 05, yeah, 05, 04, so towards the end of this era. I feel like um, they kind of missed out um, the t- 2003, the battles that he had with um, the Williams and he had with the uh, McLaren as well. And people like uh, Kimi and Montoya. Um, I mean, yes, 02 and 04, like Chris said, were much more straightforward years. Uh, and them years where that's where the fight was just dominant. But I feel like, again, yes, stuff like 03, 01, they kind of missed out the battles he had with the uh, yeah, Williams and McLaren, who were much more fast at the time. And I feel like, uh, as well, they didn't uh, talk about his partnership with his uh, teammate Rubens as well. Who, yeah. Uh, at the time, obviously, sacrificed a lot in the team. Being the second fiddle, being the original Valtteri Bottas, uh, he gets clowned nowadays. Um, how he, <laughs> <laughs> how he felt, and how you know the structure of the team was built. Um, I, I feel like that could have gone way more deal. I thought they should have done like another episode in the, in the documentary. Um, because yeah, much more was done. And even because all oh, his brothers as well was at the time of William as well, and you know he was, he was getting more second fiddle to Montoya, but he was still there competing. I feel like yes, 2000, 2005, he wasn't 2000, 2004. Sorry, yes, he was in his stride. Yes, he's had a faster car. Yes, everything kind of clicked for him and the team all together. Everything was in his place. But again, if you look into the details more, there were some battles that were just, that should have been discussed. And you talk about how he, you know, overfought, how he fought them. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think... You know what? I'm just going to get into the agendas right away. And I'm going to come to you first on this, Kunle. Like, is there an argument now? When you look back at Schumacher, look back at his legacy. Is there an argument to say that every time he went toe-to-toe with the rival for a championship, he wasn't able to deliver? Because as far as I can remember, he's only ever gone up against Mika Hakkinen in 98, partially in 99. In 2000, okay, he toppled him. 05, 06, he wasn't able to get the better of Alonso. Obviously, that Renault car, you know, there could be an argument that that was a cheat code or whatever. But when it comes to battling another person for the championship, would you say that Schumacher has it in him to to get over the line or had it in him to get over the line? First things first, if you have an agenda against Schumacher and championship credential, you're nasty. I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> look, I, I, look, we're gonna get onto it. We're, look, that's the nastiest. Look, we're no, gonna end up comparing him to Hamilton at some point, aren't we? Like, look, no, we've been recording no. for 40 minutes. Hamilton, we have to talk about Hamilton in the same breath. And if you're gonna compare Schumacher and Hamilton, I have to look at how many times Schumacher and I, Hamilton I, have gone back okay, to the for a championship. I, I personally wouldn't be doing that comparison just out of respect for the man's legacy, personally. But if you want to do that, you're nasty to start with. <laughs> I mean, that's to start with. And secondly, you know, he has um, the man has seven champion. He has seven world championship. Whether you want to say he was against cre- credible opponents or not, whether it was shit Austri or dark hearts, you cannot take seven away from him. You cannot put. You can't put seven asterisks on his names. All you, can, all, all you can put next to the man's names is stars. And, you know, like I said earlier, for every year that there was some sort of battle or some sort of, you know, controversy around this championship, the next year he went out and he literally battered the opposition. You know, 2000, when he won in 2000 after that, you know, again, people, some, some people would argue that McLaren was faster than the Ferrari. Some would argue his first Ferrari championship. Some would argue the McLaren was faster. But I have love for Mika, and Mika is, you know, I think he's up there. He's not Mount Rushmore F1, just because other people have better numbers than he does. But I think he's up there as one of the greats of the sport. So, so, so Ferrari won the constructors in '99, yeah? How can they won the world championship? Yeah. And that's one of the few times that a driver has been able to win the world championship and not have the fastest car. So you what also was, have to give your hand hat off to him the second, Who was the second driver? I think, I, I think the second time was in 2007. Who was the second time? Who was the second driver at McLaren? Uh, what, during that time? David yeah. Coulthard. Who was the second driver at um, Ferrari? Eddie Irvine. Are you telling me Coulthard is a better driver than Irvine? No, no, no. I'm not, no, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that. Okay. Um, I mean, what, no, 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 but no, but that that backs it up even more. That shows you just how dominant the Ferrari was in '99, because the Ferrari was able to win the constructors in '99. No, also if you switch around Crawford and Irvine, mm-hmm. Ferrari, the Ferrari still win the constructors. Probably, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Do you Probably, think that? '99, '99, yeah. that, that Ferrari car was dominant. Everyone goes on about Schumacher's Malaysia 
you know, fantastic comeback and whatever. But, you know, let's just keep our feet on the ground here. That car was very quick. But Mika's McLaren wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a go-karting car either. It wasn't, it was quick enough. It was quick, exactly, you know, it was quick enough to compete. So, but that's, that's, that's a sad, you know, I'll leave that argument to you all that's to discuss. No, this is why we brought you into the conversation, Kunle. You're you're very much... Me and Kwame only like you know we enjoy the sport when like when we have LED TVs and LED Kule. TVs and full HD TVs. Not you know. Not Kule. Them, not... Kule, you're very much part of this conversation. Them, we, we all we're know not, we all know you watch ITV. We're not talking Jim ITV, Rosenthal. You know we're talking BBC One and Sky. Days, you know <laughs> that's what I'm trying to talk about. But yeah, like back to back to Shim, like I feel I feel like he I feel like he has he has enough to say that. He has been he had been able to go up against some of the best of the best drivers and come up on top. You know, the dominance ended when Alonso came in, but that's that's just the cycle, right? You don't you don't become you're not king forever. You know, he came up he came up as a young pop and if from the documentary is like he was this kid. So he went from being a supplement driver to just you know someone someone's been arrested we need a driver to get signed to help to help the Benetton team that was like third or fourth fastest become the best race car on the grid mm-hmm. and, you know mm-hmm. if you if you don't if you're not champion material you're not you don't win much. the championship you yeah. don't do yeah. that you know you don't win the championship mm-hmm. you know and and it and he proved that as well. He proved, you know, is who wraps up the championship at Spa? Schumacher like, does. Only like, in, in in no, but in 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 a very dominant car, though, Kunle. I'm sorry, we have to yeah, you have was, to was, remember it, that it was, was a dom- extremely in a, in a very dominant car. Fair enough, but you, you bro, he was getting team orders at Austria, at Austria, which is like the fifth race of the season. He's getting team orders. <laughs> and that's that's oh. why. Well, he Lou brought everyone else. Then he just came in, like you know, this is my team now. I've been through the mud with this team, and now it's my time to eat. And no one's gonna take my food from my table. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was like. You know, I'm eating now, and I'm eating good. So you know, whoever I'm gonna continue the, to eat. I'm gonna stay eating. Whoever is a second driver, who was the second driver at the time? Barrichello. You know, Barrichello came in, hey, my G, you go a whole time. You know, just chill, right? Chill for me. I'm still eating. If, when I'm done eating, you can, you know, you can Not get scraps. Fair. And Barrichello did get scraps, you know. No, to be fair. Yeah, he got the America that year for free. <laughs> he, got he got the, oh, the American he, 2005... He, 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 <laughs> are you talking about the 2005 Grand Prix? The one that he won by default? No, yeah? Not the 2005. It was the Austria. Oh. The same year they did, they did Austria, he swapped it back in yeah. America. As like, you know, here yeah, you go. Yeah. Oh, did he? I, I took that one. Yeah, he gave, him, he gave him one too. He gave him one. Yeah, yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you remember what happened in 2010 in Hungary? Yeah, after all the work that Barrichello had done for him, Schumacher tried to completely take him out. Yeah, do you remember that? When that was uh, Barrichello was driving for Williams, yeah? Oh yeah, That's really respectful that was. I used to, I used to, I used to holding on to that. Uh, what, dude? He helped him win so many world championships. He literally <laughs> tried to take him up. Watch that, couldn't I? After this pod, go and watch that back. 
Hungary 2010. He literally came on the radio and was like, black flagging, black flagging for that. Do, do you know, do you know, I can't believe you're here listening to Annie trying to question Schumacher's championship. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. It's just, guys, look, the ultimate question will come up that, you know, if, 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 if in some way Hamilton does not win number eight, there will be questions to say who... Who is the greatest of all time? And right now, with Hamilton having seven, Schumacher having seven, we have to consider and look at that debate. In my view, it's yeah. easily Lewis Hamilton, but people but will me, have that debate. But let me throw. So I just uh, want to. But let me throw a spider in the work, right? Not that I, not that I, say either way, right? Lewis has driven against. When he retires, how many drivers will we say are legacy drivers? Alonso? Mm-hmm. Vettel? I'll say, hmm, Alonso, Vettel. Maybe Raikkonen. Mm-hmm. Maybe Raikkonen. Maybe Raikkonen. Obviously, when we talk about Michael, he drove against Hill, um, Prost, Mansell, uh, Senna, Senna uh, Hill, and uh, so one can argue Yes, the Ferrari may be more dominant, but the field of drivers that Michael Schumacher drove against was better, I believe, as a as the top tier talent. Now there were more, there were more world champions. He drove exactly. against more world champions okay. than exactly so, probably so, anyone else. So mm-hmm. the argument, in terms of pure, so you look at it, you can't look at pure because you're comparing areas, right? But if let's say Lewis gets eight, then yeah, you 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 would say um, by pure numbers, Lewis has what his his his, his legacy is greater. But then the argument will always be it's similar to like how um, we talk about football, right? Um, we talk about Cristiano Ronaldo's international scoring records, hundred and whatever goals. But fifty of those goals came against farmers. Is it really a great record? Well, for, well, for Hamilton it is, because I can completely rebuttal that point, JL. You told me you race against Senna, Prost, Hill. For all of that, he only has two world championships to show. Hamilton has five, okay, during his time at Mercedes, right? No, sorry, six during his time at Mercedes. And he is driven against other world champions on the grid. In Raikkonen, in Rosberg, in Vettel, in Button. So that's minimum four world champions there that he's faced against, and he's beaten them all. What three of those guys, what three of those guys in 10 years' time will be talking about? The, the world, the world champ, what a four-time world champion, a double world champion. Yeah, yeah. No. Rosberg is still talking right now. You know, but in in let's say we, I talk about legacy, right? Right now we still talk people still talk about Hill, Pross, Mansell, and so forth, right? They are they're not going to talk. They talk about Vettel because he's won four titles. No, talk about no. Listen, Rosberg, mm, maybe, maybe not. Um, Alonso, definitely, but that's about it. Vettel and Alonso. The rest of just the rest of the rest will just be. I think. Yeah. I think oh. JL. I think. I think. I think. I think JL. Like you know, you know, Jensen. Jensen Button is a. You know, his world championship is a. Streets will never forget. World no, champion. of course not. Huh? Of course not. Streets will not. never forget. And you know, you know, Rosberg also put himself in that category, for dipping out when he dipped out. So it's always going to be, that guy dipped out when he won the championship. So for some, for some. 
you know, yeah, it dipped out. It, it's what it is. It dipped out. Don't look at me like that. Go for it, Chris. Okay. You see Rosberg, yeah? You see all the dark arts? He learned that from Michael. So Michael's dark arts pammed Lewis. That's what happened. <laughs> the dark arts got to Lewis. <laughs> Lewis, Lewis never pulls out these tricks, by the way. But then, he, but then you guys know. But then the thing is, you see, you see the dark arts thing, yeah. You see, Vettel tried it in Baku that year. You might remember oh, that. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, yeah Vettel, 2017 Vettel when he tried to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no, so he tried. He tried to do that sneaky little thing on the side, yeah. on the side, and then yeah. So that's the so like again. Shumi is 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 a legacy driver. Maybe this Gen Z, maybe the Gen Z kids don't know don't know much about his legacy because they don't they didn't see it they didn't see it happen you know most of most of them saw the Mercedes years of Schumacher most of them didn't see him they didn't see the Schumacher that was walking it was a walking god on the grid but even in Mercedes mm. though there were still glimpses though of like yeah, there was um, glimpses you know they he had that yeah, he had that qualifying in Mon- was it Monaco yeah. Yeah, that Monaco? qualifying in Monaco. Yeah, yeah. Monaco where, it was 20... to, where it was meant to be on pole, but then he got like a grid penalty and then he went he started from somewhere. Yeah. He, that's that's but yeah, I, I feel I feel like for a lot of the new school drivers, and it's very weird because this the new school drivers don't really they're not the they're not the era of drivers that looked up to Schumacher's era of driving. Right? Mm-hmm. So like this new school drivers looked at they they probably watched Formula One around the years of Vettel, Alonso, Weber, Hamilton, and Button. Those were probably the drivers that they watched. Maybe, maybe, maybe the older guys, like the guys in their thirties, probably saw a bit of. They probably saw a lot of Schumacher. So, like the Hamiltons saw a lot of Schumacher. Vettel, obviously, being German, looked up to Schumacher. Um, you know, Daniel Ricciardo probably watched Schumacher. But then the newer ones don't, so maybe that's why that that maybe that's why his legacy would sort of, if it's not spoken about by, if it's not continuously spoken about or discussed, maybe that's when that's when he might start getting questioned. Because like, again, you're only you're only as great as people talk about you, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and for many kids these days, and for many people, for many younger audience. Of F1, and this is nothing against the older audience. The younger audience, the younger audience would only go by highlights, and they probably say, "Oh, it was in a faster car." They won't see. Maybe, the, maybe the documentary would help them see what like he had to drive against. Okay. You know, the younger, the younger audience don't remember. They don't know Senna versus Prost. They don't know how great Mansell was. You know, okay. they probably don't even. They probably don't even know how good Justin Button was in the wet. Mm. All the all the know all the noise all the noise Verstappen versus Leclerc, <laughs> which costs me by the way, but that's by the way. Hey, oh, we're in the mud. Nah, bro, nah, bro, we. Hey, nah, mate, we nah, we we we're not in the mud. Chris said we're in the mud. Come on, say man. No, we future F one's bright, man. Come on, future F one's bright. No, I think I think the I think compared to as we, um as you know, Kev talking about 
most of the kids, so the, the, the current grid of drivers, what, they're 98, 2000 babies, right? So they would have been, when they were over age, maybe taking the sport, it would, as you said, it would be Alonso. Yeah, yeah. And it would be Lewis. And so that future generation is looking at Lewis Hamilton and we older ones the same way that if you ask, if you ask Gary Lineker, like best of footballer, he was, he was a Maradona because to him, that was who was the, the pinnacle at his time. But he respects that Messi's ability. Same way that for me, and maybe, and if we would say um, Michael is here because of what we remember, or we will put Lewis in the same category, just, just differently. In 10 years' time, you know, unfortunately, you have some fans who may say Max, sickening, or they may, or they may say Very Land or whatever, but I think we have, the current grid, I think, has a, probably has the best spread of talent, I would probably say, for quite some time. Because um, you could probably put four or five drivers in, I say, you could put four or five drivers in Lewis's car, and each of them, you could argue, could win a championship. You couldn't say that back in the early 2000s. If you say, okay, I'm going to put, I don't know, whoever it was in, in that Ferrari car of Michael, they may not win a championship. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. Um, I do agree that the future of F1's bright. Um, will we see the sort of dominance that we saw from Ferrari and probably Mercedes right now? No, no. it remains to be seen. 2022 is around the corner. Um, so, yeah, look, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Chris, I know you have a lot of time for not just Michael Schumacher, but Mick Schumacher as well. Um, towards the end of the documentary, it was quite it, it was quite touching to see some, some of the comments he made. Um, it, it must be really tough for him, isn't it? Like, growing up, especially now. Uh, especially, you know, we've just spoken about him, you know, for almost an hour, the way... You know he's he's regarded in, in the Formula One world. Um, what's your thoughts on Mick Schumacher, mate? He's the like the nicest kid you could meet. Like it pays real testament to Michael the fact that he's so good, and yeah, he's just the like hearing him talk about how he give up everything to speak with his dad about. Being in Formula One is just testament to, you know, the relationship they have good of a child he is and just like like he's a good racer. He's clearly shown his skills grow coming in one, so I wish him the best and you know, hopefully he can win in the Ferrari one day like Yeah, I think that'll be um perfect that'll be like literally coming full circle for for the schumacher Chris, Chris, uh, schumacher you, uh, and their family definitely chris is that why you like set up mick hive yeah because he's <laughs> a, a good kid ha- hashtag yeah. mick hive <laughs> <laughs> he's a good kid he's a good junior category are you he sure that's why junior or... category that's your cv submitted <laughs> Or is it because it's a good youth from a good home, yeah? When you win every category, like Leclerc, like Russell, you get back in. You get back in. You get back in. Mm. You show levels. 
He won some man. shit. I might, with a serious name I might pick up. Hand. I might pick up a form. I might pick up a form very soon. You know, the documentary convinced me. <laughs> no, we we love good kids <laughs> from good <laughs> homes. Yeah, we love them. Oh <laughs> man, I think. I, I personally think when when it comes to Mick, I, I think he's got a huge, huge expectation on his shoulders. Um, personally, I, I really hope he delivers. Um, you know, I think yeah, just as as you mentioned, Chris, he's he's there on merit. You know, he's won all of those those junior categories. Um, but he will always have that, you know, in the back of his head that yeah, you know, my dad, you know, will be considered one of the greatest ever. Kwame, let me let me quickly come to you on Mick um, before we wrap up. What's what's your thoughts on Mick? Um, not only in the documentary, but but as a driver, especially this season as well. I think Mick, what I'm about to say is it shows how mentally strong he is as a person, uh, especially as well, because um, I think it was touched on the documentary, but he was actually there with his dad when the whole um, skiing is happening as well. He's only 14 at the time. So for you to see your dad go through a traumatic experience that has affected you know his life, and the way the family talking about him, is, I feel like it's the closest we'll ever get because the family are very private situation, but um, it, it seemed like, you know, he's in a very, very deep place, like a very bad place in the sense that, you know, the way some of them talk about, like, the mom was about in past and whatnot, and they were saying that we're very protective of Michael, and we'll look after him, and, you know, it showed that, you know, it's definitely had a toll on Mick, but I think he's used that to his advantage in the sense that he's definitely had down his chip in his shoulders, made him, you know, push, you know, to the next level. I feel like Mick as a driver, I feel like personally from, you know, like Chris said, with his junior uh, category, he's done very, very well. Seems like a driver is very calculated in the sense that he's done very well in his second years and he's a very consistent driver as well during the um, lower formulas. So I feel like for his age, similar to his dad, because his dad was very mature when at the beginning of the documentary during the karting and he was getting interviewed, his, his dad had a very short um, head on him and even Mick seemed like that now as well. So I feel like Mick knows what else to do. He's got the backing of the Ferrari guys. I feel like the ceiling is is the sky's the limit for him, to be honest with you. Um, you just need, you know, a seat, uh, be it from Sands or Leclerc or whatever. But yeah, I think he can. He he he, he ain't taking the Leclerc seat, no way. <laughs> he's got the potential to go there. Isn't it? but it's just he's gonna be Leclerc and Mick all the way. The way. But yeah, I mean, imagine I that driver lineup. Um, any any final words, guys, before we wrap up? Um, I'll just say that the documentary was good. I wish it was more of a limited season series, so maybe two parts, because for those who don't know about Michael, so in general, it was good to know about his life, you know, his early days, where, where he came up, to show that, um, you know, he didn't just come into the sport, win on day one, it was easy peasy, ex- no, he actually had to try. The only piece which I which which I wish they dealt more into, as she said, was it was what ninety minutes give or take. So it was seventy odd minutes of up until his first title for first world championship, yeah, yeah for and And that's the piece which talks, which actually I think cements his legacy more because it's the dominance. So if you're a casual Formula One fan, which a lot more people are. They, as you say, we do, they don't really understand some of the real black arts that he really did. Him and he, he and Ferrari really did. So I would have liked to have seen a part two of that. However, no, I echo the guys. I think Mick, hopefully, will have a good career. Leave Haas, go to like Alfatari, Aston Martin, you know, a nice midfield team. 
um, show his talents. Would I want to see him for him one day? A part of me says yes, but a part of me is like that. That pressure with with Schumacher's name is is a lot, and we'll see we'll see if he can do it. I I I haven't, you know, it's it's still early in his career, but it was good to finally see something from the Schumacher family, and um, just hope that. Yeah, some some positive news from him comes out soon enough. Yep, no, perfect, perfect little summary there, Joe. I fully agree with you. They probably should have split it up over a couple of episodes, but it was it was really nice from Netflix. It was a great way to sum up the two week break that we have between races, and and obviously an, an excellent throwback to Schumacher. Um, as a disclaimer, I'm not playing down any of Schumacher's achievements. He, for me, is definitely up there as one oh, of the greatest. Copying. Oh, you're copying but, please now, yeah? But there is one driver that is ahead of him, and that's not bad in any way, shape or form. That one driver is my GOAT, and that's Lewis Hamilton. Um, but whatever Schumacher's achievements were, and however much you rate them, it was an, an excellent throwback and an excellent documentary, and we thoroughly enjoyed it. Until next time, where we will be reviewing the Russian Grand Prix... Peace from everyone at Pit Stop Fracker. Enjoy yourself and take care. Sports Social Podcast Network.